Hello, tennis fans. Welcome to another edition of the OTA's On Tennis podcast series. This is presented by Mayfair Clubs. This episode is one in our new series, Women in Tennis. Today's special guest, Stacey Allister, needs no introduction, but we're going to give her one anyways. Stacey is no stranger to the tennis scene in Canada and around the world. She is one of the most successful, respected, and influential executives in professional sports. From her early days as a player and then coach at the Welland Tennis Club in Ontario, Stacey went on to great things in the world of tennis. She was the VP of Sales and Marketing and the Tournament Director at Rogers Cup, became the President of the Women's Tennis Association in 2006, and shortly after was named Chair and CEO of the organization. After taking the Women's Pro Tour to unprecedented heights, Stacey retired from the WTA in 2015, and in 2016 was named to the newly created position of Chief Executive Professional Tennis with the United States Tennis Association, where she works closely with the USTA's Board of Directors and Pro Tennis staff to ensure the continued health of professional tennis in the U.S. Welcome to the On Tennis Podcast, Stacey, and thank you for taking the time to chat with us. Peter, how are you doing? Great to be with you. Very well, thanks. Um, You know, I purposely left out the most important role that you've had in your tennis career, that being, of course, your time as the membership sales coordinator and director of player development at the Ontario (laughs) Tennis Association. Uh, I thought that would be a great place to start our conversation. Uh, so take us back in time. You learned to play and later coach at the Welland Tennis Club as a youngster. How did you start in tennis and who was your first coach? Well, I owe everything in my, uh, my uh, community tennis experience and, and professional experience in tennis to the OTA. I started as part of a program where the OTA gave uh, one eighth grader a uh, boy and girl from each uh, elementary class. We got a Fisher racket. We got a membership at our community club for the summer. And we got six weeks of free lessons. I was chosen from uh, St. Kevin's Elementary School in Welland. And who would have ever thought that that program would result in me becoming uh, the chairman and CEO of the number one professional sport in the world and to now run the largest annual sporting event in the world, the U.S. Open. So that was the beginning. And my first coach was the great Dutchie Doer. Um, uh, yeah, the name from the past. He was well yeah. known around these parts for sure. No question. He, um, and he, he became, you know, the first coach, um, a mentor for life. You know, he passed a couple of years ago. Uh, we have a scholarship now uh, at Tennis Canada for junior girls in his name. And, um, yeah, he's just one of those great community champions. And that's how tennis in Ontario and throughout the country can grow with people like Dutchie. Terrific. You know, um, interesting you touched on the fact that the way you got into tennis through the OTA program, because that's something that I think um, is invaluable to to actually have that link between either schools or, or you know, community centers to to the club environment in Toronto, which is or in, in Ontario, which, you know, is pretty strong. I think it's something that we we still strive for at the OTA. But it's, it's really neat to hear a, a live example of, of how a small start like that ended up in such a such a great uh, career for you. And, and obviously you have a love for the game as well. Look, no question. I um, <clears throat> fell in love with, with the game. Um, I never left the club that summer. My mom, I can remember, she tells the story. You know, she, I, I was gone from eight in the morning till eight at night. And, uh, you know, who was this Dutchie Doer guy? And Dutchie just said to her, don't worry, I'll, I'll look after her. And, and so he did. And, you know, I think he uh, conned me into doing part of his jobs around the club, but I enjoyed it. And I either, 
you know, learn how to take care of those red clay courts and earn 25 cents or, you know, open up the, the pop machine and, and give me a pop. And, and then the next thing you knew, I started teaching lessons with him. Uh, and he encouraged me to become a certified um, tennis instructor, for which I did. And, you know, I, I was able to have this incredible learning experience to work with adults, with kids, communication skills, event management, you know, when I was 16, 17. And that really was foundational uh, for my entire professional career today. Well, you'll um, actually, as a sidebar, you mentioned that you got certified. I um, recently got my instructor myself at the age of 61. I just thought it was something I should do since I was in the business. And, and you'll never guess who I did it with, Vicki Robinson. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Yeah, we both, she kind of challenged me. She said, I'm thinking of taking it. Um, and I said, if you do, I do, I will. And we ended up both taking it. So that was really cool. It was really well, nice to look, do that. Uh, to have you and Vicky uh, out trying to inspire kids and adults to play our sport. I think uh, the future of the growth of tennis is uh, in sound hands. And that's, you know, we need people like you uh, and Vicky, really positive individuals who love the game, incredibly passionate, because that will translate to inspire that little boy or that little girl to to want to play and, and you know, emulate the great Canadian champions that we have today. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so tell, we're not going to spend a lot of time, but talk a little bit about your your um, work at the OTA and what, what your role was there. I think you had a combination of working on the um, club uh, membership side as well as the um, player development side. Correct. So I, I tell everyone that my first uh, job in tennis with the OTA after after graduating from Western was driving around in my Volkswagen Cabriolet uh, filled with tennis balls and rackets. And I would go into the local community. I would give a free lesson at the Parks and Rec. I would have a meeting with the volunteers uh, of the local community clubs to convince them that by them uh, contributing $5 per member to the OTA, that that was contributing to the growth of the sport um, in their community and um, and throughout the province. And, you know, you think about it, you know, asking for $5, uh, it was almost at that time, even the cost of, uh, of one Canadian beer, um, but it was a hard sell at times. Um, so that was, that was a, again, really good learning experience. And then the other piece of the equation before I left the local community, we would go in and, and deliver mini tennis assemblies uh, for elementary schools. And I'll date myself. So, you know, I had music and uh, we got the kids engaged and they all asked me, are you Carling Bassett? <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. So that That's was funny. the foundation. And I did that for, uh, I think, a year and a half. And then uh, Bob Wood. Uh, the director of player development moved to Tennis Canada, and I took his post. And that's where really the energy around event management, management and going out and getting sponsors. Sporting Life was the first sponsor I secured, right. uh, and they became um, the Ontario Open sponsor. And I got a team right. sponsor for for uh, our juniors, and that was the beginning. Tremendous. Well, you know. Um... Who, who were some of the top um, juniors at that time? Is some names from the past that may be listening out there that you came across at the uh, either Ontario Open or, or Junior Provincials for that matter? So um, Daniel Nestor. Daniel Nestor used to play. Uh, well, actually, Dan Nestor used to come to Welland and play in our, in our junior uh, closed event. Um, 
kids that I took to Canada Games, uh, Jerry Ronan, um, Mandy Wilson, uh, give me a few more names. Um, so, sort of that, that group, Garrett Prynne. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was, <clears throat> that was the group at, at that time. Right. Yeah, a lot of them are still playing. In fact, uh, I saw Daniel are, the yeah. other day. Yeah, yeah. Some of them are yeah, still around. Um, Manny well, Wilson actually, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, she's still involved in tennis. So. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you know what, um, after your stint at the ODA, how did, how did you actually end up at Tennis Canada? I guess it was the early, early 90s. 91, um, that's right. 91 was it. Okay. How did you end so, up uh, getting there? So almost by the, the time I got to the OTA and I had a, an experience helping run the Remington Family Tennis Championships uh, with Tennis Canada, I knew I wanted to work uh, at Tennis Canada. I applied for th- three different jobs at Tennis Canada while I was at the OTA and I was turned down three times. Um, I then um, <clears throat> ended up leaving the OTA and started working for All Canadian. And during that time, I was uh, volunteering to run the Skydome uh, Tennis Championships. And um, Bob Moffat said to me, you know, I can, I can give you a three-month contract at Tennis Canada. And um, that worked out with All Canadian. So I became the special project coordinator for three months at Tennis Canada, which was do whatever anybody asked you to do. And the, the, the truth is the following. Um, I didn't have anything confirmed longer than three months. <clears throat> I was uh, interviewing and I was offered a full-time job to work for CIBC uh, to run uh, the Toronto Blue Jays sponsorship. That's when the Jays had, <clears throat> and CIBC became a partner. Right. I got my school debt and I, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I said to who I was working with, you know, I've got a full time offer. And they said, well, if uh, you don't want to wait around and see if we can offer you anything full time, then, you know, good luck to you. I called the recruiter, got voicemail. <clears throat> I said, call me back. I just went in to see Bob Moffat, who had given me the opportunity and said, just want you to let you know, Bob, that I've got to take this full time offer. And he said, give me one hour. And then uh, one hour later, I was offered a full-time job at Tennis Canada. So uh, four years later, <clears throat> Jim Fleck, who's the chairman of the board, and Bob made a big call where they appointed uh, you know, 32-year-old Stacey Allister to oversee uh, all of the revenue and marketing for the Canadian Open in both Toronto and Montreal. And that was, that was a big one. <clears throat> and ultimately, uh, had that not happened, I'm not sure where, where I'd be today. Um, so. Right. Well, um, you know, full disclosure here, as, as you know, I worked uh, briefly um, managing the telemarketing team during your time there for the Rogers Cup ticket sales. And uh, I do uh, remember that on occasion, I would check in on the team over the weekend uh, as, as the Rogers Cup approached just to make sure that all the names were flowing and they were selling tickets. And you were always there. It seemed like you were there 24-7 and uh, your head was down and you were obviously dedicated to making a success of, of the tournament. And I guess um, your, your responsibilities at that time were obviously all the major corporate partnerships and, and as you said, pretty well every revenue stream uh, and including, importantly, all the ticket sales. So um, those were pretty hairy times. That was at the, uh, the year I was there was actually at the old site and it was also 
the year that the stadium was being finalized uh, across the York University campus uh, in 2004 to move to the new stadium. So you also had that in your Ballowick. So talk to me about, I guess in particular that year, but just all the, the different sort of behind the scene things at Tennis Canada that you had your hands on. And I guess that was the reason you were there 24 uh, yeah. seven. Well, you know, it's a, it, today is the same. It's a very uh, talented uh, and passionate team that uh, goes above and beyond for, for the growth of the game. And, uh, you know, back then we had the old stadium and you know, it was hard to convince people to come up uh, to York University without public transit into that old stadium. And then at the same time, try to convince uh, the board and corporate partners and uh, municipality provincial federal government to support a new tennis center at, uh, at York. So uh, working with, with Bob Moffat and, and Derek Strang, uh, it was getting the building built while keeping the tournament progressing. It was also the time that, you know, we transitioned from tobacco sponsorship and everyone said, you'll never replace Du Maurier. And uh, we were so fortunate to start out with Rogers and AT&T, specifically on the women's. Uh, in the end, uh, AT&T bowed out and uh, Rogers, with the leadership of Nadir Mohammed, stepped up. It took me a few years to convince Nadir and his team that Rogers should also sponsor the men's event. He does now thank me for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's been a pretty good partnership. It has been terrific for, I think, Rogers and obviously for Canadian tennis, for the Rogers Cup and Coupe Rogers and Montreal. And then, <clears throat> of course, uh, my Montreal colleagues were secured National Bank. So right. all of those things. And really, at the end of the day, <clears throat> trying to grow tennis in a very competitive marketplace. And really, you were competing against hockey, hockey, hockey and Muskoka. And we really didn't have any uh, top, top Canadian names. So um, it was about transforming the event from a tennis event at York University <clears throat> to the the sport and entertainment lifestyle event uh, where you wanted to come and it was a place to, to be and a place to be seen. And that's that was really the strategy to drive the growth. Yeah. Now you mentioned, um, you know, at the time there wasn't a lot of really top-notch Canadian players by name. Um, you were also the tournament director, so you had to also make sure that some of these worldwide stars would sign on and, and make sure they show up and play and that sort of thing. What was it like dealing with, I guess, the players and the agents? And uh, have, have you got any, any you know, stories that you can share, you know, a one-off that might be quite extraordinary to our listeners? Well, I think at the time, the uh, particular the the the, uh, the women's event, uh, I think we did not have a consistent representation of top ten players, and there was a weakness in the structure, and it was tough uh, because players would sign up, um, and then uh, because of the date for a variety of other reasons, uh, you know, they would pull out. And that was tough uh, on me personally because, uh, <clears throat> you know, I would go out and, and never promise one particular player because we could never guarantee it. But to let our fans down and to let our corporate partners down and, uh, and our staff, that, you know, it bothered me a lot. And um, so those were, they were just, they were hard. Yeah. You know, sometimes the media would say, oh, you knew player X wouldn't come. And it's just, that wasn't factual. 
Yeah. Um, and it, you know, as we transcend into the, my WTA days, I'll come back to uh, the work that we did to improve the circuit structure so that Canada Canadian fans would receive uh, on a consistent basis, you know, seven of the top ten. And I'm proud of that. You know, today we just look at that event, and it has a very, very consistent a delivery of, of top players, which. It, it, yeah, it's it's one of the best. I mean, the part of uh, I think becoming part of the U.S. Open series certainly helped. But I mean, it was it was really it's a lot of legwork. I mean, I don't think people realize that tennis is an individual sport. They're all individual entrepreneurs in a way, and and they call their own shots. I mean, if you and and furthermore, if you buy a Toronto Maple Leaf ticket, for example, you're not guaranteed that Austin Matthews is going to play the night you have a ticket. But there's an expectation in tennis. It's all it was, it's been so star driven for so long. I mean, I can understand the the pressures as the tournament approaches every year for for you and, and the staff that was there for sure. And that's why the 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 importance of the event was a foundation of of a world class sport and entertainment experience featuring the world's best. And you had to offer more. And 50% of the fans that would come through the turnstile didn't play tennis. And that really was the, then the opportunity for Tennis Canada and the OTA and, and the Quebec Tennis Federation yeah. to use those, use the tournament as an opportunity to inspire people to want to play. Um, I never, ever had to give anyone their money back. You know, people would be disappointed that maybe they didn't get to see the player they thought they wanted to see. Oh, you see live professional tennis and a player who's uh, ranked one in the world to a hundred in the world. It's exceptional. For sure. Um, so let's fast forward to, I think, uh, 2009. Um, it was a, a sort of benchmark in your life. Uh, you were basically hired away from Tennis Canada to become the president of the WTA. And then shortly thereafter became the chair and CEO so here's a junior tennis player from Welland, Ontario, rising through the ranks here in Canada, OTA Tennis Canada. And now, at that time, the only female executive of a major professional sporting organization. That must have been a very special time for you personally. And also, I mean, it was just somewhat historic. Can you talk a little bit about those days? So it was an incredible privilege to join the WTA in 2006 as the president. And then uh, two and a half years uh, later, for the board to name me as the chairman and CEO. Um, this is, you know, it was, I still to this day pinch myself that I was chosen uh, to run the number one professional sport for women, the organization that Billie Jean King founded. Um, on a personal level, I took great pride. I also put an incredible amount of pressure on myself because I wanted to prove to myself and to the world that a woman uh, with, uh, with two kids, could in fact uh, run a global professional sports league. And <clears throat> without question, women's tennis, albeit number one in, in the genre, was still an, uh, a challenger brand uh, when you, um, you know, you're competing against you know, all of the major leagues, whether it's the NFL, NHL, MLB, NBA, um, PGA. Uh, <clears throat> so, it was uh, an incredible journey and uh, very, very proud collectively of the, the work that myself and the team did. Um, and it was a, almost a 10-year journey with the president uh, position as well and looking for growth. And, and growth came from Asia Pacific, where when we started, we had two events in China. When we finished, we had six, we had seven in APAC, and we had 23 in Asia Pacific. Yeah, It's a global tour, and it was about providing a foundation long-term 
for a global footprint uh, for growth and, and media rights. And we did a half a billion dollar deal um, for, for television rights combined with taking our year-end finals with equal prize money to 14 million. And those were unheard of numbers for, for women's, women's tennis. Yeah. You know, it's funny, um, I was going to ask you specifically about, because I know you were instrumental in really expanding the Asian market. And, and um, I guess starting, I'm not sure if Lee Na was around, she was like the first sort of superstar from that, from that uh, part of the world. Um, but I've noticed since that, since that time when you expanded to so many WTA tournaments in Asia, there has been um, more than a few players from that part of the world that are now playing as top-notch professionals, making their mark, making money, and probably further inspiring that whole population to play the game. But it's really been noticeable because, I mean, 20 years ago, you didn't see too many people from that part of the world in any of the main draws. No question. So, you know, Lee, Lee Na had her, had her breakthrough, and it was the early days. We opened an office in Beijing in 2009. And that uh, came at the recommendation of David Stern from the NBA. And mm. his playbook was you had to be in the market to understand the market, uh, to help educate uh, the Chinese people just on how the, the game is played and the rules. You know, tennis has this incredible gift where it's, asp- it's an aspirational sport. It's gender neutral. Um, it's not combative. So in other cultures it's an acceptable sport for women to to compete in and the and the government saw tennis as a sport that was good uh, physically mentally because it's such a strategic sport and it didn't take up a lot of real estate and so many government officials uh, were playing tennis as well so you had this combination of uh, Li Na the superstar becoming the first Chinese woman, the first person from Asia Pacific to win a Grand Slam. We made the strategic bet to put our home in Beijing and be in the marketplace and award the, the China Open, which is in Beijing, one of our um, mandatory events with equal prize money. And that was the beginning. Uh, and then we worked with the CTA to build out this model of economic development because it was really building tennis events to drive and build brand awareness of, of cities. And then that looped in the local CTA to use the events to inspire more kids with obviously their icon, uh, Lee Na. And it takes about 10 years, but usually it's usually a 10 to 15 year lag for us to then see the impact of a champion. And lo and behold, uh, you know, what you, what you're now seeing with so many more Asians, um, you can attribute that to Lee Na and then to the WTA working with the CTA to, to, uh, to optimize that opportunity, much like we see in the United States, um, the, prof- the profile of African-American uh, young women competing uh, for the USTA. And we just tip our hat to Serena and Venus for having that yeah. impact. Definitely a, a big part of it. Um, so, 2015, um, you, you actually decided after, uh, you know, a, te- a terrific 10 year run to, to retire and, and spend more time with your family in Florida. Uh, take, take us through that decision. 
So I was traveling 150 days a year, and I did that for almost 10 years. And it was long haul travel, and uh, I was just physically exhausted. Um, and uh, it was to the point that it was, you know, becoming also a potential health health concern. And kids were 11 and 13, and uh, we had achieved a lot. And I just thought that's it's time. Um, and it was time for someone else who would have the, the strength and the new energy to take the organization to the next level. So uh, as hard as it is to step away from something that uh, you're incredibly passionate about, it was, it was right for me. It was, it was right for the organization. Right. And uh, I was going to take a year off um, <laughs> because... How'd that, how'd that work out? <laughs> it worked out exactly. Depend, you know, it really worked. Yeah. Since the age of 16, uh, from around yeah. the clock, uh, to your point, you know, head yeah. was down. Uh, that that Stacy Allister that you saw running the Canadian Open was turbocharged uh, during my my WTA days. So it was yeah. it was a grind. Yeah. Well, I, I guess a little while later, the USTA came calling with an offer that you couldn't refuse. Uh, and you obviously took on the role of chief executive professional tennis for the organization. And. Um, just, I think, coincidentally, the timing coincided with the construction of the USTA National Campus in Orlando, where I guess you work out of sometimes, if not all the time. Um, so I actually, as I mentioned to you before, recently visited the campus, and it's um, it's a tremendous facility. Um, it's very inspiring, actually, as a tennis guy to go down there and see that, that place. And um, you may not even know this, but the OTA... Um, is currently in the early stages of planning to build our own training center with 20 courts, uh, indoor and outdoor, not not to the scale of of, of the USTA center, but I certainly uh, we can learn a lot from from that campus. Um, so what what um, so you, in your new role, obviously fostering the growth of professional tennis, but tennis in general for U.S. players, um, how important is is a center like that in your mind to to push it to the next level? Well, I'm glad you had a chance to visit um, USTA National Campus here in Lake Nona, uh, Florida. It's a very inspirational uh, place to work. Um, you see the mission, you feel it every day, and we all have this incredible drive uh, to change kids' lives through the sport of tennis. So, you know, it's a, this is a public facility. So, the best part of the day is four o'clock when you've got three, four hundred kids coming for their. They're after school programs. Uh, we see juniors training here. My morning starts with walking into the, the player development center. And, you know, we could have Madison Keys training or CeCe Bellis. Uh, and it just all comes together. And uh, it's a research center. And, and we invite uh, all of our sections, so it'd be like our provinces, uh, to come and bring their juniors, bring their coaches. Uh, to learn and to um, collaborate and learn from from each other, and then go back to their to their uh, own sections to grow the game. And we are seeing, like uh, the OTA is 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 building, we're seeing smaller uh, USDA national campuses being built. One's being built in Texas, one uh, in the in the Mid Atlantic. Uh, so we also, I think, the center is a catalyst for um, the development of these type of facilities to help reduce the barriers for kids and adults to play the sport. And uh, I know that uh, our facilities group spending a lot of time throughout the country helping 
uh, real estate developers and others. Hello, Stacey. Cut out. Um... Hello? Oh, you're back. You're back. Yeah. We just lost you for about 15 seconds there. Um, so, yeah, if you want to just reiterate that thought, maybe we'll, we'll can figure out how to, how to work that. Um, you want me to redo that whole thing or? Uh... Um, I think we should probably Okay. We'll just, we'll just move on. We'll, we'll be able to edit that, I think. Um, so, um, so in your role now, obviously you're responsible for the future of, of U.S. players. Um, I, I think there's certainly some terrific uh, movement with some young players on the women's side, which I think is great. A men's, you know, they're, they're getting a little older, but there's a couple of young guys. What, what, what's your vision in the next 10 years for, for the uh, U.S. pro game and, and, you know, who's feeding into that? Well, I think, uh, like Tennis Canada, we aspire to have um, Grand Slam champions, in particular a Grand Slam champion of, of the U.S. Open. Um, my role are, is to take the pro tennis assets, the tournaments, like the U.S. Open, the tournaments that are part of the U.S. Open series. Um, we own Cincinnati, which is like uh, the Rogers Cup, a men's and women's right. combined event. Uh, we have 300 competitive pathway events. Um, those are the entry-level pro uh, events to, to give our Americans uh, an opportunity to earn uh, computer points at home. So we oversee uh, see that. And essentially, it's providing those wild cards to our aspiring young pros, giving those pathway opportunities, and then uh, <clears throat> helping them at, at the ATP and the WTA events to succeed. So it's, it's really providing those platforms of opportunity for the Americans, uh, making the money uh, for, to fund player development that's led by, by Martin Blackman. And he has that ultimate responsibility to train and develop the next uh, generation of American champions together with um, local coaches. You know, our model for player development is is decentralized to be complementary to local coaches. Uh, we don't have anyone that stays here at the USCA national campus uh, year round. There's no, no academy per se. Uh, we'll bring in uh, a player uh, for regional programs with their coaches. And really how can the USTA help to complement uh, what the athlete might need? That might be strength, conditioning, mental, nutrition, um, but we see uh, the USDA's role is a, as a partnership within local coaches. I've certainly um, noticed like in the last um, five or six years, that has been sort of a new emphasis for USTA. I think like many national and international, or particularly national bodies, it, it's been a close shot for a long time. So I, I for one, was really happy to see uh, the USTA lead the way in that to, to, to figure out that, you know, if you have a hundred top players, they probably have a hundred different pathways to get to the top. And many times it includes a single coach or their family or whatever. So I, for one thing, it's a, it's a terrific uh, way to go. So, you know, good for USTA. Yeah. We, um, we can't do it alone. Go ahead. And, uh, we can't do it alone. And, uh, you know, I think we're just here to, to help complement uh, that yeah. out in that nucleus of the team. Yep. So while you're, um, you know, fostering the game in the U S um, 
as a Canadian, you must be excited with the current crop of young Canadian pros, I guess, particularly Bianca, but I mean, Dennis and Felix and, and even Braden Schnur and some of the others. So can you talk a little bit about, I mean, your contributions back in the day when you were with Tennis Canada, are, in my opinion, are starting to, to show, as you said, it takes 10 or so years. I think it's starting to really show with some of the success that Canadian players have had. And it must, it must be very gratifying for you. Yeah, it's a, the dream come true. That's what every person at Tennis Canada or the OTA or or uh, or any province we we want to see uh, our players achieve their dreams, and ultimately then these great uh, champions to be able to inspire the next generation. Um, you know, so you know, it really started with for me. It started uh, with Dan and and Dan uh, winning being the the most accomplished Canadian um, doubles player in our history. And then, it, you know, I remember the day I was at Wimbledon and there we were, we had Jeannie Bouchard and Milos in the Wimbledon final. And I thought to myself, I would never, ever imagine that we would have two Canadians in a Wimbledon final in singles. And then, uh, and then comes along uh, Dennis and Felix uh, who are just incredible. You know, I have the privilege of seeing them a little bit uh, on tour. I know Dennis a bit more than, than Felix, but um, they're just great guys. And when you think about how these champions inspire the next generation of kids, we're so fortunate that they're talented on the court. But for me, it's equally as important and how they... Um, how they work uh, and handle themselves um, with with fans, and that's the gift that um, the Canadian tennis now has with with both of them. And then I'm sitting there running the U.S. Open, and uh, a Canadian wins the U.S. Open. It was incredible. I'm still choked up about it. Yeah, so, it, it uh, was a it was a seismic uh, moment in in Canada. That's for sure. When she won, it really put tennis on the map. I think for even people that aren't big fans of the game, they've suddenly become fans of the game and Bianca. So, yeah. it's uh, yeah, and and you know, um, having the privilege of working up at the uh, now Aviva Center and seeing some of the young ones that are fourteen or fifteen now, especially the girls, you can see how they are emulating the way Bianca carries herself, the way she plays. I mean, hopefully she'll come back soon, but it's been something to watch. And that's, and that's, that's why player development is actually important to a tennis Canada or or a USTI. It's the pro players that will ignite uh, people to take an interest for the casual um, fan, parent, Ah, well, maybe I'll play ten. Maybe my daughter or son will play tennis like Dennis and Felix or Milos or like Bianca. And we all know that tennis is this incredible sport that um, is, again, it's a very healthy sport, sport of a lifetime. It's not as expensive as we think uh, as compared to some of the other sports. You're not going to get a concussion. Um, You have to learn, um, you know, to to deal with, with defeat on your own. And, um, it's just, it's just such a great sport. And then all of a sudden you have these role models who can, uh, who can relate and inspire kids. And that's, that's the magic. Yep. Um, Stace, um, that's one of your legacies. I think the the growth of Canadian tennis, uh, I know there's another legacy that's very important to you and that's the influence you've had and continue to have as a female executive in the pro sports world. Um, 
you're one of the trailblazers. So whether it's a young girl trying to learn or complete compete at tennis or a female coach or a female tennis executive, do you have any words of advice that you like to talk to, uh, you know, like to put out to the next generation of aspiring uh, women in the tennis business? Um, believe, uh, believe in your dream, own your destiny, uh, never let, uh, the obstacles or the naysayers, um, allow you to doubt yourself. And, uh, I am living proof that, uh, hard work, perseverance, and, um, understanding, and having the support of, of many uh, people um, that uh, anything is possible. Right. You know, no one ever, we all never, would never would have thought that Stacey Alistair from that OTA program at the Welland Tennis Club would become the chairman and CEO of the WTA or today would run the US Open. I've heard it. And, you know, Tennis Canada turned me down three times. Um, <laughs> so it just, <laughs> you know, I hope they hear that. <laughs> What's that? I said, I hope they hear this. <laughs> I've told the story a few times. It's not the leadership yeah, today that, uh, and look again, if it hadn't been for Bob Moffat, for Jim Fleck, and for Derek Strang, uh, <clears throat> I wouldn't uh, have had the professional career that I, that I have today. No question. Right. You know, Stacey, um, obviously we talked a lot about your achievements, um, but we're not the only ones that know about it. You've been recognized many, many times uh, in you know media and and uh, executive world for some of your achievements. Why don't you talk a little bit about some of the um, awards and sort of thing that you've had over the years? Well, you know, I think overall, I'm very proud of the, the teams that I've worked on to uh, to achieve everything we have um, for the you know for Canadian tennis and and for women's tennis and now the U.S. Open. I take no ownership of any single award because it, it's the people that I worked with <clears throat> like you, Peter and Vicki and others. But uh, it was pretty special last year. It was uh, the 50th anniversary of open tennis. That's when tennis became um, professional back uh, in 68, um, where tennis magazine did, uh, or sorry, tennis, tennis.com did a, a champion a hero from each year for the past 50 years. And I was named uh, one of the top 50 heroes in the sport of tennis in the last 50 years. And that one really, uh, that one sunk, hit home. I'm proud of that one. It was for my leadership in um, <clears throat> gender equality and specifically equal prize money and the growth of, of prize money for women's tennis. And when I think about that privilege to run the organization that Billie Jean King founded for me to be together with, with Billy and Arthur Ashe and Christy and others. Um, that was a moment to say, hmm, okay, maybe I haven't made it <laughs> within this uh, global tennis world, but something that I, uh, I share with uh, so many people who've been on the journey with me. Well, you know, Stacy, as, as a, a lifelong player myself and, and a fan of the game, I, I'd like to congratulate you on all you've done and, you know, and, and inspired so many people in the tennis business and, and as players. And um, the example you said has been terrific, I think, especially for young women and girls and certainly the, the player levels of girls uh, versus boys in, in tennis is 
as good as any sport pretty well in the world, I'd say, if not better than most. So I think, um, you know, the role that you've played over the years has been uh, really instrumental in the growth of the game here and, and now in the States. So I just want to thank you for taking the time to join it, for joining us on the On Tennis podcast. And hopefully we'll see you again, maybe at the Rogers Cup in the near future. For certain. I am coming home this uh, this summer and uh, I look look forward to uh, hopefully being both in Toronto and Montreal and uh, celebrating Bianca's return. And I have a little gift for her. So um, on behalf of the U.S. Open, so it, it'll be again another pretty uh, inspiring personal moment uh, for me to come home uh, with uh, representing the U.S. Open and, and uh, the defending uh, and seeing the defending U.S. Open champion and seeing everyone. You know, Tennis Canada has an incredible team, both in, in Montreal and in Toronto. I'm proud to, uh, to be a tennis family member uh, of Tennis Canada and the OTA. And tennis has now uh, such a rock solid foundation to go to the next level. And that's that's inspiring, and I hope everything for the OTA uh, really takes off, especially with the new tennis center. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. The On Tennis Podcast is presented by Mayfair Clubs. With four locations across Toronto, Mayfair Clubs offer first-class facilities and integrated training programs for fitness, tennis, and squash. Mayfair Clubs celebrates 50 years in the business this year. For more information, please visit mayfairclubs.com.